This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. In honor of National Adoption Month, on today's show, we're speaking with two mothers who welcome children into their families through adoption. In our second segment, we'll speak with Rita Bittner, a Catholic Review columnist who adopted her two sons from China. But first, we start off with a conversation with Kate Kleintank, Director of Adult Faith Formation and the Middle School Catechetical Program Director at St. Paul and Church of the Resurrection in Ellicott City. Kate and her husband Nathan adopted their son Joshua domestically. Here's our interview with Kate Kleintank. Kate Kleintank, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us what led your family down the path of adoption? Absolutely. Um, what led my my husband and I, Nathan, through the process of adoption is um, I had precancerous cells and I was pro- having problems getting pregnant and I wanted to be a mom so bad and my husband wanted to be a father and both of us are from big families and so we decided to follow and enter into the adoption process to make an adoption plan, we call it. And one of the things about that is once the day I got Joshua, the day after I was holding him in my arms and I received a phone call from the OBGYN that said that I had precancerous cells, probably cancerous, and I needed to have a hysterectomy. And so I knew right then that I was supposed to adopt Joshua. And how did you discern between domestic and international adoption? Uh, My husband, Nate, is a dedicated employee of the government. And one of the stipulations of where he works is that they could tell us whether or not we can travel to a country if a, a country, tensions with that country heightened. And so um, I didn't want to be, find out I had a baby waiting and them tell us you couldn't go pick up the baby. So my husband and I decided to go the domestic adoption route. And did you use a specific agency, or how did you go about the process of of picking an agency? Yes. Um, uh, We started out with Catholic Charities, but as we were in um, the middle of it, domestic adoption for Catholic Charities, they had so many people waiting and for to be parents that we ended up going with Adoptions Together, which is an agency, it's a secular agency out of their two offices in Baltimore and Silver Spring. What is that waiting period like, and what was it like when you finally met your son? Well, usually that waiting period is 9 to 12 months, they tell you, just like a little more than a normal pregnancy. Um, Mm. That didn't happen for us. We became an official family in waiting September 13th or 17th of 2010, and November 1st, we got the phone call that they had a two-and-a-half-week-old African-American baby boy of Mm. the same year. So not even. It's a month and a half. Um, I truly believe that uh, God had a part in this 
Father Mike Triplett, who um, is Joshua's godfather, we were um, wanting a baby, and we possibly had a, a baby, and this teen um, was pregnant, and she was looking at adoption, and we talked about what adoption was to another friend who went back, and this friend um, ended up telling the the parent and taking our book and everything and was trying to get, you know, see what if this young lady would like us to be the parents. Well, we never heard anything. And at the same time, Father Mike went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land with Bishop Madden and other priests. And he prayed for us at the Shrine of Mary's Milk, where apparently Mary breastfed Jesus on their way to Egypt and a drop of the milk went on the inside of the cave and it became pristine white. It's become a fertility shrine. Not only did Father Mike pray for us there, he also offered mass in the chapel that's above this this cave. And so I truly believe it's a miracle that we didn't have to wait that nine to 12 months, that we only had to wait a month and a half. What kind of adjustment was that for you, both both in fact uh, that it, it happened so quickly and also that, that you were a, a new mother? Well, I can say that when I went into my boss, Father John, the first thing I said was, so I'm going to have a real baby Jesus as part of the Christmas pageant this year. And he said, what? And um, so I wasn't expecting. I hadn't told being the director of religious ed at that point. um, I was doing elementary faith formation, and I didn't tell the parents any different. So it was kind of I had to write a letter to them and email to say, hey, um, we were in the adoption process. It didn't take nine months. It only took a month and a half. So I'm going to be taking maternity leave, but I'll come to Religious Ed this Sunday. So I did come to Religious Ed that Sunday, and then I took um, my maternity leave for a couple weeks. Joshua has been a part of a resurrection family from the very beginning. Um, My husband was very nervous. Um, In the state of Maryland, you have 30 days for a birth parent to change their mind. I can remember on December 3rd, him waking me up at 12.01, December 3rd, saying she didn't decide to change her mind. And Mm. so that was a, um, I realized there was a lot of angst with Nathan more than I had thought. Mm. Did you choose to stay in touch with the birth mother? And, And what do you tell your son about his roots? We do not have an open adoption. Uh, We have a closed adoption because of the birth parents have chosen that. We were open to an open adoption. Uh, We talk about Joshua's birth mother and birth father at this point. You know, we just say that they felt they loved you so much they felt like they couldn't parent you and raise you in what you needed and the needs you needed. Um, We do pray for them at our bedtime prayers. We pray for Joshua's birth mother and birth father, and also we know that he has birth siblings. And we just ask God to be with them, and we also say we thank them for choosing life. And we ask them to um, watch over them and encourage more birth parents to choose life. What are some of the challenges of having an interracial family, and and how do you try to honor your son's African-American heritage? Um, One of the biggest challenges is, because he looks different than me, is having that conversation of why, especially now with some of the race relations and racial justice issues that we're having, the Black Lives Matter, all of those things. Um, he thinks about it a lot and having 
that quiet time to have a conversation when things are not going on like basketball or soccer or to take that time to talk. He, at one point, because of everything going on, said, why does it matter what the color of my skin is? Um, He'll say, I'm not black, I'm brown, and mommy's peach. So those, we've had those challenges of what to say. Um, One of the other is people have asked, well, how can you be his mom? Or how can that be your mommy? And so I've always said he may not be the baby of my belly or my tummy, but he's the baby of my heart, and he grew in my heart. And so just having those, I know that the conversation of prejudice and racial biases, having the conversation of, Joshua, you don't question authority. And um, we've also been very blessed to have some other couples who've adopted African-American children who we've had conversations with and we've stayed in contact with them. Um, when a lot of the injustices have happened, we've had conversations with them. And and sometimes tears, being quite honest about just someone be, being judged by the base of their color of their skin and a judgment being made. Uh, so one of the other thing challenges is recently we went by um, – we live where we live. There is unfortunately an abortion facility, and um, walk there. It was during the 40 days for life, and there were people out there praying. And as they were praying, you know, Joshua saw them and said, "Mommy, why are they praying? Why were they saying pray for the unborn?" And I just said, "Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, birth mothers are scared, and sometimes they might not choose." to give life to their baby. That's why we always thank God for your mom choosing life, that your birth mother chose life and your birth mother and father decided this. And he's like, that realization that some people don't, because he said it out loud, he's like, mommy, some people don't choose life. And so that was a really hard conversation. And he said, unfortunately, no, they don't. So we need to pray that they have that courage. We have about 30 seconds left. What do you want people to know about adoption? I always say that adoption is an option. Um, Also, adoption, it's just like any other parenting. It's hard, but it's so rewarding. And it's the piece I will never forget. The day Joshua was put in my arms was such a feeling of love, especially that love that God gives me and gave my child. And it's both and. Both of us love each other, and he's my child. It may not be by me having him, but he's definitely my child, and God bless me with him and my husband, too. Okay, Klein Tank, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you, George. Our guest this first segment has been Kate Klein Tank, Director of Adult Faith Formation and the Middle School Catechetical Program Director at St. Paul and Church of the Resurrection in Ellicott City. In our next segment, we'll talk about international adoption with Rita Bittner, a Catholic Review columnist and blogger who adopted her two sons from China. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. We'll be back in a moment. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with a Catholic Review. Admitting that people's faith in God has been shaken by the pandemic and related economic turmoil, 
Los Angeles Archbishop Jose H. Gomez called on his fellow bishops to take the news of the resurrection and the triumph of life over death directly to the people to help them navigate the crisis. Quote, At the heart of their fears are fundamental questions about divine providence and the goodness of God, said Archbishop Gomez, president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops on November 16th, during an online address the first day of the bishops' annual fall General Assembly. The assembly was taking place entirely online for the first time because of the pandemic. It was announced during the meeting that Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie was elected on a vote of 139 to 102 over Archbishop Samuel J. Aquila of Denver to lead the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Pro-Life Activities. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. We're talking about adoption, and with us this segment is Rita Bittner, a popular Catholic Review columnist and blogger. Rita is the Director of University Communications for Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore, and also a parishioner of St. Joseph in Cockeysville. She and her husband, John, adopted their two sons, Louis and Michael, from China. Here's our conversation with Rita Bittner. Rita Bittner, thanks so much for being here on the show. Hi, George. Thank you for having me. Before we start, I should let our listeners know that in addition to having a professional connection with Rita through the Catholic Review, I also have a personal one. Uh, Rita is my sister-in-law. I'm the proud uncle of her two children that we'll be talking about today. That is true, although we actually did know each other before you married my sister. So That's true. Baltimore is a small world. <laughs> Rita, in your writings, you talk very openly about your family's struggle with infertility. Could you talk about that and how that led you down the path to adoption? Uh, absolutely. So um, my husband John and I were married in 2004, and we both were from large families. I'm one of six, and John is one of seven. And so we always knew we wanted to have children and start our family, but children just didn't uh, didn't come. And so after a few years of realizing that wasn't going to happen for us in the traditional way with the birth of a child, we started thinking really seriously about adoption, which was something that we had talked about even before we got married. Um, And we decided to start looking into it and found it was really a great fit for our family. How did you discern between international adoption and domestic adoption? So that's a really important question when you're starting to think about adopting. And we went to an information session at Catholic Charities in Baltimore, and they talked about all the different options, talked a little about domestic adoption and also about different countries that you could adopt from internationally. And John and I were really new to the idea, even though we had talked about adoption, we hadn't really thought about what this would look like for our family. We're open to everything, but we just started to feel the tug to um, go either to China or to the Philippines. We just both felt that um, somehow we were being pulled in that direction. With domestic adoption, there there were just some questions we had that um, just didn't seem like the path for our family and I can almost I almost struggle to explain why it felt we should go overseas to build our family especially because we are not big travelers John and I had never flown together 
before we flew to China to adopt our older son. But it just it just felt right. And you wound up adopting two young boys from China at different times. Could you talk about that process and what it was like getting on that plane the first time to going going to China and meeting your son? Absolutely. I love to tell that story, both those stories. I could talk on and on through your whole show, George. Um, We were matched with our older son, Louis, in January of 2009 and saw his picture for the first time and read all kinds of little details about him and the foods he liked and um, all kinds of, you know, what he liked to play with. And then we waited, not intentionally, but just because of paperwork and government challenges and all the things that happen on an adoption journey, it took us 11 months to board the plane and fly to China. And so it was December. It was right before Christmas, and he had just turned two years old, and we knew we were on our way to him. And I don't think there's anything like that feeling of excitement and nerves and a little bit of fear. What are we doing? We're flying to China to meet a child we don't even know, and we don't know how to be parents, and what if we completely botched this, but we were just so sure that he was ours and we were his, and um, it was just an amazing experience. The whole trip, we were there for two weeks meeting the Chinese people who were just so open and welcoming and um, just loved the children there and um, would would greet him and give him fruit and bananas and oranges as we'd encounter them in the hallways of the hotel or wherever we were on the streets. It was just it was beautiful. And we had a similar experience. We went back almost two years later to adopt our younger son, Michael, just feeling so welcome in China and really loving the people we met, but getting to connect with our new little boy and learn one another and watch him learn little bits of English and we'd learn little bits of Mandarin with Lewis and Cantonese with Michael and just just beautiful experiences both times. I know it's been very important to your family to honor your children's Chinese heritage. Could you talk about that, some of the ways that you do that? When we decided to adopt internationally and we knew we would have to fly to China, China is not a country where they would fly the child to the United States for you, but at first it felt like two weeks in China would be this daunting experience, especially for non-world travelers as we are. But one of the wonderful things about it was getting to know the Chinese people a little bit and getting to pick up some items from China that we can display in our homes. We have some wall hangings and um, little Chinese zodiac that hangs from the ceiling and pieces of China. We stopped by a Catholic bookshop in a uh, Catholic church in Guangzhou and picked up little rosaries and other Chinese Catholic articles so that we could have that connection too. And so we talk a lot about China in our home and sometimes our boys will laugh at us a little bit because we'll say, do you know where this was invented? And they're like, China, of course. <laughs> but we want them <laughs> we want them to be proud of their heritage. And we always celebrate Chinese New Year in a big way, whichever animal of the year it is. And next year will be Michael's year, the year of the ox. And so it will look a little different because of COVID. We usually would have a big party and invite family and friends. Just really let them experience their culture in little ways and fun ways. Whatever we do, I want it to be fun. And um, hopefully that will keep their interest as they get older. Our older son is taking Chinese at school and I you know, I tried really hard not to pressure him or push him in that direction. 
and John the same way, but he chose that on his own, and we're just thrilled that he's getting some of the language and maybe some of the heritage with that. And I, I know your sons were even baptized here in the United States in traditional Chinese garb. They were, yes, yes, yes. They picked up a little Chinese outfit. Um, in China, I don't think they would wear a traditional white outfit normally, but it's kind of a blend of, uh, I don't think white is a lucky color in China, which is true for many parts of the world, actually. But um, it was perfect for a baptism outfit, so we were excited to bring that into the cathedral for the their baptism days. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about adoption and about how families are brought together through adoption? I think there are a number of misconceptions. Um, I mean, one of them is that that really that that a family formed through adoption, maybe that the relationships are a little bit different. And I think um, there is a difference to how our family was formed, but I think that 98% of the time we are just like any other family. We are crazy. The house is a wreck. The the issues are the same. The fun is the same, everything. I think that sometimes people think that that adoptive relationship might be different, but most of the time I'm a mother John's a father, our children are our sons, and there's really nothing unusual to that. Of course, when you're going down the road toward adoption, you want to be aware of issues like attachment and bonding, and you want to be able to talk to children about their identity and their family story and all of those things. So I don't I don't mean that you should go into adoption without preparation and without research and without consideration, but I also think that if there's like a perception that a family formed through adoption is different from another family, I think I, I just think that every family has their challenges and every family's on their own journey, and we, we're all really in the same same boat in so many ways. I know over the years you've probably heard your fair share of insensitive comments that people make most of the time without even realizing it. Things like using phrases like adoptive mother or adoptive father or referring to the birth mother as the real mother. Could you talk about that and, and how do you react when you hear that? Yeah, it, I, I think that when you hear people using phrases like that, it's really important to think of um, the fact that they are most often just speaking from a, a place of of not totally understanding but um, not meaning any offense, and it's it's just them trying to make sense of a situation like anyone else. And so comments like that don't trouble me um, except in my children's hearing, really. And then I always check in with my children to make sure they understand uh, what that means, like what, you know, they know they, they're old enough now at 10 and 13, Oh, my goodness. Um, they're old enough to understand that if someone says real mother, they know what that means, and they know that I am their mother. But they also know they have a birth mother, They, you know, that their story is larger than our family here in the United States, and the people who've been part of their loving circle is bigger than in our little house here. So they're not confused by it anymore. But when they were a little younger, I would get a little bit troubled, especially when people would say, are they real brothers? And I would think, well, of course, they're real. I mean, they're as real brothers as any other set of brothers. They argue and they fight and they play and they love each other and 
you know, they're yelling one minute and forgiving the next and can't bear to be apart and need to be separated. So they're brothers like every other set of brothers anywhere. They just happen to have different paths that brought them together in our family. So that kind of thing bothers me a little, but I also try to remember that people just don't necessarily understand. And and so I, I will usually say, well, they are now to let them know that, yes, they're they're real brothers. They're 100% real brothers. Um, but they they didn't start as brothers. If brotherhood means do they have the same genetic material, then no, no, they're not. But they are real brothers. And I remember Catholic Charities from the beginning, they said siblings are the ones who have the least trouble recognizing that they are siblings. Like they immediately latch on to, yes, He's my brother, and there's no question about that for them, and that was true from the beginning. We have about 30 seconds left. What do you want people to know about adoption, or or what kind of advice would you have for those considering adoption? Oh, I I just would, would want them to know that adoption is a beautiful route to a family, and um and I feel like it has been the greatest blessing of our lives to be able to be parents through adoption. I'm sure there are many people who could say discouraging things about adopting, but I think that it is important to hold on to the fact that it's such a loving and beautiful path and um, how God brought our family together um, is just such such a gift for us. Well, Rita Bittner, thank you so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you for having me, George. If you have questions for our two guests from today's show, you can visit catholicreview.org and click on Catholic Review Radio to email Kate Kleintank and Rita Bittner beginning Monday. Again, that's catholicreview.org. Click on Catholic Review Radio and there'll be a link to email Kate Kleintank or Rita Bittner with your questions. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.